In the traditional service at Royal Redeemer, we often begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful invocation. It's a perfect way to start our worship service. But it's also a reminder that you watching are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Today we're talking about the baptism of Jesus. Now this is a text that people come across and they scratch their chin and they're a bit confounded. Why in the world would Jesus be baptized? We'll talk a little bit about that, what it means, uh, what it meant at the time and what it means for us today. We'll talk a little bit about our baptism, what it means for us. And then at the end, we'll kind of circle back around and talk about times when we come across scripture that makes us scratch our chin. We don't fully understand it. And why would God put that in the Bible? Um, let's start here. We're in the a book of Mark, uh, two places in the Bible that talk about Jesus's baptism, Mark and Matthew. And we'll use both of those for our purposes here today. But let's start out in the, in the book of Mark. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. May God bless the reading of his holy word today. Let's come together in prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. Um, we open it with great joy, but also carefully because we want to understand what you have for us today from it. So bless this message, so rich, so much good stuff for us today. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start here this morning. Number one, at his baptism, Jesus is ordained as the Christ. If you remember the story, and we'll read a little bit from Matthew in just a second, um, Jesus shows up at the Jordan where John is baptizing other people, and Jesus says, baptize me, John. And John says, no, master, you should baptize me. And then Jesus follows up in Matthew 3.15, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill all righteousness. One of the righteous things that Jesus wanted to have uh, accomplished at that point was his ordination or his anointing. Anointing means to set something apart for a holy purpose. Now I want to be careful here because we could certainly easily confuse things, but the second person of the Trinity is eternal. He has always existed into, uh, future, uh, into eternity past, he exists now, and he will exist into eternity future. Um, the incarnate second person of uh, God Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, right? We know that. We just celebrated Christmas, incarnate Christ. But the Christ part of him came into being at his baptism. Christ means Messiah, and Messiah means anointed one. So he came into his public ministry. It was the use of elements in God's word to say this one is special. This one is to be used for holy purposes. Oftentimes when we anoint things or people, yeah, we can anoint things. In the Old Testament, they anointed bowls and spoons. Oftentimes when we anoint things, we use God's word and elements. And in the baptism of Jesus, there was God's word and water. When they anointed Old Testament priests, they would use oil and pour it over their head. It would run down their hair and through their beard and use, and use God's word. I became Mark in December of 1965, and I will be Mark into eternity thanks to what Jesus has done for me. But something will happen to me. I'll be changed, hopefully, in a couple of weeks. We've scheduled my ordination as a pastor into the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod at the end of this month. It's an ordination. It's an anointing. I will be set apart. I will be put into public office um, for a specific purpose, and that'll be done with the laying on of hands and God's word. So at his baptism, Jesus is ordained and anointed 
and set apart for a public work. Uh, secondly for us today, that is baptism, Jesus, uh, the Trinity is clearly revealed. The Trinity is clearly revealed. From the text in Mark, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my Son whom I love, with you I am pleased. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus is there getting baptized, second person of the Trinity. God the Father speaks in an audible voice, and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this uh, mystery of Holy Trinity, but the reason I bring it up is because I want to contrast it with what happens just three years later. At his baptism, the Trinity is clearly revealed, but at the cross, Jesus is abandoned. Isn't that an interesting twist? At his baptism, the Trinity is clearly revealed, but at the cross, he is abandoned. I've done some reading on this because it came uh, across to me that we ought to ask this question. At the cross where Jesus is abandoned, is the Trinity broken? And the answer is no. But the best way for me to think about it anyway is to understand that the Father handed the Son over to receive our punishment, that the wrath of the Father would be poured on him um, because of our sin. We know this in Mark 15, 34, and at three in the afternoon, Jesus on the cross cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama samachthabi, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the purpose of my point here is to look at the severe turn that happens that points us toward the cross. At the baptism, we can see a severe turn that's about to happen that points us to Jesus and what he's done for us, that he paid our sin debt, that what we deserve was paid for by Jesus at the cross. Well, number three for us today is at his baptism, Jesus is where we're supposed to be. And on the cross, Jesus is where we're supposed to be. Remember, Jesus shows up and tells John to baptize him. And John says, no, Master, you should be baptizing me. I like to think of it this way. Maybe John is up on, like, kind of higher up on the riverbank, and Jesus is already, like, maybe waist deep in the, in the water of the Jordan. And John's looking at Jesus saying, I'm supposed to be down there, Jesus. The same thing is true with us at his crucifixion. We look up at Jesus on the cross, and we say, I'm supposed to be up there. I'm supposed to be paying the debt for my sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is helpful here. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The idea here is substitution. We use this term, term substitutionary atonement, a substitutionary payment. And I was trying to think of examples from my life when I needed a substitute. And the story I tell is not dire. There wasn't life and death. But I sure wanted out of there. I sure wanted someone to take my place. I, I, was, a, <laughs> I was a waiter at Applebee's, the one down here in Strongsville. I was on the, the crew that opened the place up. I think it was 1998. I was a pretty good waiter. I did my job pretty well. I, I remember, though, I think it was a Saturday. Maybe I worked a double shift. It was near the end of, end of the uh, service. We were about to close, maybe in an hour. Uh, tired. The mind was a little bit foggy. And a big group of people came in, maybe a table of 20. And generally, as you know what happens when a, a group of people come into a restaurant, they'll have several servers, four or five or six maybe. Well, something happened that day, and I was the only one that had to serve this entire table, trying to do a good job, writing down their orders. You touch the touch screen, the drinks come out. I'm hustling, I'm doing my best. But about halfway through the event, I realize that I'm really getting everything wrong. And, and they're letting me know. They're not being nasty, but they're letting me know that I'm really goofing things up. Wrong drinks, bad appetizers. That side dish was supposed to go there. He was supposed to get no onions on his burger. And by about halfway through, I just needed someone to come and tap me on the shoulder and say, Mark, you made a big mess here. Go sit down over there, rest, relax, refresh, 
let me take over. I'll make this big mess that you've created right. I'll fix everything. And by the way, the tips that I earned for making this right, I'll give them to you. And that's what Christ does in our substitution. He, he taps us on the shoulder and says, man, this life you're living, big mess. Why don't you go sit down over there, rest, relax. I'll give you a yoke that's easy, the Bible says, an easy burden, just rest. The big mess you've made here, I'll make it right. As a matter of fact, I'll live perfectly, and, and, and the reward that I earn by making my life right, by having a right life, I'll, I'll give that to you. Substitutionary atonement. At his baptism, Jesus is where we're supposed to be. At the crucifixion, Jesus is where we're supposed to be. A Lutheran pastor named Brian Wolfmuller has a great illustration of Christ's baptism. Very helpful for me. Maybe it will be for you too. He talks about a, 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 group, um, a group of nasty sheep, um, t- filthy. Their, their wool is foul with dirt and maybe even some of their, of their waste is, is in there. Horrible. Their hooves are broken and diseased. Their eyes are swollen shut with bacteria and virus they can't see. Pussy. Their teeth are broken, foul, and diseased. And this group of, of foul sheep go down into the water of the Jordan. And the Jordan washes them. All the filth of their wool washes out. Now they're clean. Their hooves are made whole. The diseased eyes are, are, are healthy again. The disease in their eyes washes into the water. Even their broken teeth, their foul mouth is made whole and healthy. And they walk up on the riverbank and there they stand. Then another sheep shows up, already perfect, without blemish, without spot. And this lamb goes down into the water of the Jordan. And that foul water starts attaching itself to him. And the dirt in the water now is in his wool. And even the waste from those sheep are in his wool. And his hooves become broken. And the disease of the eyes from the first group are now in his eyes. Now he's blinded. And his teeth are now broken because of the foulness of the water. And John the baptizer takes that lamb and puts him up on the, sh- on the bank and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. At his baptism, Jesus is where we're supposed to be. At the cross, Jesus is where we're supposed to be. At Jesus' baptism, the Father is pleased, and at our baptism, the Father is pleased with us. We read it in Scripture. We read it from the Mark account that the voice of the Father is heard. With, who, with him, I am well pleased. Um, let me read this to you from uh, Romans 6, 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That we too might walk in newness of life. That he might be pleased with us. We, we do a pretty good job around here of talking about our sin, and we ought to. It's a big problem. But we also celebrate the forgiveness of sins. But we also ought to talk about the fact that in our baptism, God is pleased with us. Let me read to you again the the text I just read, but this time from a different translation, from the message translation. When we were lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us raised into a light-filled world by our Father so we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Your baptism wasn't a one-time event. Uh, well, if people ask me if I'm married, I don't say, yeah, I, I was married. I don't, say, I don't say I was married in October of, uh, two, of 2000. I say, yeah, I am married. That was the event that started it, but I'm still married and will continue to be married. At your baptism, you were baptized, but you continue to be baptism, 
And in your baptism, the Father is well pleased with you. And as your baptism continues to be a part of you, your Father is well pleased. This is Baptism Reaffirmation Weekend. I'm going to stretch you here. I'm going to ask you to do this. I hope you do. Remember your baptism today. Remember your baptism this week, um, especially in these circumstances. When you're taking a shower or a bath, when you're making yourself clean, be reminded, I am baptized. When you're washing your hands, and we're doing that a lot these days, right? At least 20 seconds, warm water, lots of soap. When you're making your hands clean, be reminded that you are baptized. You were made clean by the water and the word. When you're washing the dishes, when you're making them clean, be reminded that I am baptized. When you're washing the car, when you're washing the dog, when you're making things clean, be reminded I am baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A lot of us have baptismal candles. We hand those out here when we baptize people. Maybe you have one. Get it out today. Light it. Look at it. Think about your baptism. Maybe you've got them for the kids. Pull each and every one of theirs out of the drawer where you keep it. Put it in the holder. Light it. Talk about their baptism. Talk about the fact that they were baptized but continue to remain baptized. In your baptism, the Father is well pleased. Martin Luther, the reformer, was troubled. Things would weigh on him to the point of almost, almost making him a little, little beyond anxious. Um, the accuser would come and say, Martin, what are you doing? You're such a sinner. And Martin would say, yep, but I am baptized. When you feel the weight of darkness on you, when you realize you're not perfect, remind yourself, yeah, but I am baptized. And in that baptism that remains with you today, the Father is well pleased. So this text that we're working through today is a bit of a mystery. I think we've done a decent job of explaining why it was that Jesus was baptized. Yet still, people come across it and think, man, why is it that Jesus needed to be baptized? So what do we do when we come across scriptures that are confounding? Jesus submitted to his baptism. What do we do when God requires things or scriptures that we read that we don't understand? Well, first of all, let me encourage you to let God be God. And what I mean by that is this, if, if we weren't Christians, if we weren't believers, but we were reasonable people thinking about the possibility of the divine, maybe there is a God, what would he be like? Well, he would be bigger than me, he would be different than me, he would say things that I wouldn't say, he would think thoughts that I wouldn't think, he would be much greater than I, he would be far beyond me, he would say things that would confound me. I mean, he's God, he's not me, he's different than me. If we, in our uh, fictional atheism, could come to that conclusion. Why is it that we who actually know God and know the Bible insist that we understand everything that we read, insist that we fully understand everything that happens in the world? Maybe it's because our Father is so gracious and he's so familiar to us in a holy way. There's a familiarity that's beautiful in our family and in our communion with him. He allows us to call him Abba, Daddy. But don't let that fool you. Don't that, let, let that make you think that you should understand fully everything. My goodness, he is God. Let him, let him be God. So when we are faced with the things that we read in Scripture that are not fully understandable, we talk about this one in my life group a lot, the Old Testament and the stories of war and conquest and violence. And oh my goodness, I can't fully reconcile that in my brain. Or something as minor as this. Uh, Paul wants to go to Rome to preach to the Christians there. But he can't because of bad weather? Really, God? It makes you scratch your, th your, your chin. We're, we're confounded. Let God be God. Isaiah 55 is good for us here. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's God. And when we come across life events, George mentioned earlier, what a, what a rough week for all of us. Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The reformers used the word sufficient, that the scriptures are sufficient. Everything that God wanted us to have in the Bible, he put in there. If he wanted us to have more, he would have given us more. If he wanted to have less, he would have given us less. The inerrant, infallible word of God, the Bible that we're so blessed to have. So a couple of next steps to work through this week, maybe today, and again, point number one, find ways this week to remind yourself of your baptism, remind your family. Um, let me say this, maybe I should have put this as a next step. If you are not baptized, you should be. It's beautiful, it's a gift. Talk to me, talk to Pastor Zardi, Pastor Tim. One of the leaders here will, will talk to you about that process. Uh, number two, when you're faced with a difficult to understand situation or scripture, trust God's sovereignty and his plan. And number three, thank God for his substitutionary atonement for your sins. Let's come together in prayer. Father uh, in heaven, this um, baptism of your son is so beautiful with so much richness and so much meaning for us. Thank you that we just don't gloss over it um, as something that cannot be understood, but we dig into your word and, and find and understand better what it could mean for Jesus and the Trinity back then and even for us today. Thank you for our baptisms, much more than just a religious thing we do. It is truly a gift. The water and the word, the forgiveness of sins, your scripture is clear in. We ask for your blessing uh, this day and in the days to come that we might be reminded of our baptism, the fact that you have forgiven us and that we are now made clean and, and that you're well pleased with us. In Jesus' precious name we pray and together we all say, amen.